Here at West of Everest, we think it's important to be transparent, honest, and hold ourselves accountable. I was wrong about my OUKU prediction. I thought the Sooners would use Saturday's game as a dominant tune-up for their biggest game of the year to date, next week's matchup against Texas. Instead, the Sooners sleptwalk through the beginning and then the end of the game. Quarters two, three, and the first part of the fourth were very good. But outside of those stages of the game, Oklahoma looked disinterested and vulnerable. Coming into Saturday, the Sooners had outscored opponents 55 to nothing in the first quarter. So you were all probably like me when you were shocked to see Kansas break that first quarter shutout streak. And KU not only broke that streak, they shattered it wide open, driving what was officially 98 yards, but after penalties, turned into 99 and a half yards down the field for the game's first touchdown. Not surprisingly, that ridiculous series got the Sooners' attention. They got the Jayhawks off the field without any points the next six drives. The offense built up margin after halftime, and with 10 minutes to play in the game, Oklahoma led 42-7. But then something happened that we hadn't seen since FCS South Dakota came to Norman nearly a month ago now. Garbage time touchdowns. Plural. Not one of them, but two. Alex Grinch said after the game that playing a full 60 minutes was strongly emphasized this week, and he was disappointed that his defense didn't accomplish that Saturday. Kansas accumulated 360 yards of offense on a six yards per play clip. OU had given up fewer than five yards per play to its last two opponents, Texas Tech and UCLA. Buka Williams went nuts last year in Norman. We all know that. I thought Oklahoma would make it a point to shut him down, especially considering Khalil Herbert was out of the picture for the second game in a row and TCU bottled up Williams last week. I suppose Oklahoma shut down Williams. If you compare his performance to a season ago when he had 252 yards rushing and two touchdowns, Williams managed only 137 yards on the ground Saturday, and OU did keep him out of the end zone. However, he averaged six yards per carry and, from a yardage standpoint, had the best game he's had all season. Quarterback Carter Stanley even had a nice day. 18 of 28, 230 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Pass defense had been Oklahoma's strength. It wasn't very good on Saturday. Here's the deal. You've got to ask yourself as a Sooners fan, did those guys out there simply not care all that much about another yearly matchup with Kansas, especially with Texas on deck? Or was Saturday's performance an ominous sign? I think it's easy to say, well, OU was obviously looking ahead to Texas. Who knows how much KU prep went into the past week? Heck, maybe the Sooners already started looking into Texas. And you know what? That may be something that happened. But let's say... That is why Oklahoma's defense failed to push around a limited Kansas offense. What that's telling us is that when Oklahoma plays base, vanilla defense against a bad team, well, Oklahoma's not good enough to impose its will on that bad team. I think that's a bad sign. On the flip side, if Oklahoma actually did take Kansas seriously, like I thought the Sooners would because of what happened last season, and that's the performance of a team that was highly motivated against a team like KU, well, that's also a bad sign. I thought the Sooners would make a pre-Texas statement Saturday on both offense and defense. Oklahoma didn't do that. And now I'm not sure what this team is right now. Fortunately, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what Lincoln Riley thinks. And 
in that small post-game press conference room in Lawrence Saturday, Riley said he really likes this team and where they're at. I really want to believe him. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Here's Stevenson with a big hole. Got the first down. Breaks a tackle. Look out. Can they catch him? They will not. Stevenson with a 61-yard touchdown run. Ramondre Stevenson welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. His 61-yard touchdown run was the final touchdown of the afternoon Saturday in Lawrence. A nice one that put Oklahoma up 42-7, to but the final score, though, was a little different, 45-20. to Hey, everybody. Welcome in once again to West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. We'll bring in Grant here in a moment. But first, I want to thank all of you once again who have provided ratings and reviews on iTunes. They've been coming in very strongly in the last week or two, uh, all of them positive. So you guys are great. Appreciate your, the response that we have gotten uh, whenever I was kind of a – bit of a baby and kind of complained about it a little bit how some of the reviews have been negative and and again you guys have come through and changing that around and making sure that this show sticks at five stars on iTunes so we really do appreciate that but uh, again to be fair if you have any problems with anything let us know too we can take criticism a little bit here you can leave us a review let us know if you want to email the show it's west of everest at gmail.com if you want to get Grant and I on Twitter I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And then the Facebook page is very popular as well. Just go to Facebook, search West of Everest, and you can like the Facebook page. And that way you can interact with us, leave us comments, questions, anything that you'd like. And also you can chime in with some three-word reviews on Facebook and also on Twitter, which we will do at the very end of this show. We got quite a bit of three-word reviews after Oklahoma's win over Kansas on Saturday. So with all of that behind us now, let's Bring in Grant for the first time. Grant, happy, uh, happy, well, I was going to say happy Saturday, which it's not Saturday anymore. It's Sunday as we record this podcast. How has uh, your weekend gone, and was your watch of the OUKU game somewhat enjoyable? I got to say, man, I probably going to be pretty similar to everyone else. I, I don't know if I had that much fun watching that game yesterday. It certainly mm. was not. Uh, it was not the most pretty game I've ever seen in my entire life. But uh, upon rewatching it, I, I didn't have as many concerns as I did watching it live. So we can definitely get into that. But definitely, really ugly game. Not uh, not their best performance of the season at all. All right, so let's start with this. Did you have a chance to read through my opening take yet? Yeah, I did. I, I skimmed it. I got a good idea of it. All right, so let's start with that then. Because I think it's an important question to take away from this game if you're a a fan of this football team, or if just really not even a fan, if, if you're a media member or somebody that, that has followed this team and kind of knows what it's about, especially on the defensive side of the football. I think you got to ask yourself, was this a team that showed up not really prepared for Kansas, somewhat disinterested, looking ahead to Texas, as I'm going to guess most of the people that listen to this podcast or most Sooners fans would probably just assume, yeah, these guys obviously were looking ahead to Texas. That's why the effort against Kansas was kind of hit and miss up and down, or was this a team that came in thinking about last year's game against Kansas, how the Jayhawks put up 40 points. It sounded like a broken record at this point. And a team, a guy like Puka Williams went off, had a, 
had like over 300 something uh, total yards or all purpose yards in that game. Uh, a team was Oklahoma, a team that had that in the back of their minds with a new defensive coordinator wanting to come in and show, hey, Kansas, yeah, we're different this year. You're not going to be able to do that against us. And then we still saw that where Oklahoma started slow, played well in the middle portion of the game, but then gave up some garbage time touchdowns. Which one was it? I think it's either or. And the question is, are you in? Nobody's going to be encouraged, but. Is it something or is it nothing? And in my opening take, I think either way, it's something and it's not good either way. What do you think? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think two things can be true at once. It's probably true that Oklahoma didn't prepare for Kansas in the same way that they were prepared for Texas this week. Um, and that's normal. I don't think you do that when you're about to play a team that you should show up and physically just beat, which is what they did on Saturday. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think you can discount sort of the weird the weird way that the early part of this game played out along you know with the weather delay their entire warm up routine was completely different they had to give like the opening like the coach had to give his his pregame speech on the field it was just a weird a weird way to start the game the weather wasn't good um a sleepy 11 a.m. kick and i know these are all excuses but we are dealing with college football you're dealing with the most volatile age group in our society 18 to 22 year olds and little small stuff like this can throw them off. And this is not a perfect football team yet. And I think they showed that on Saturday. So, and of course, the first the first quarter was really ugly. Getting down 7 to nothing, not getting off the field on third down early in the game was really frustrating and they should have done better. But at the same time, you know, they really played poorly and the truth of the matter is this game was over and in their back pocket 42 to 7 into the fourth quarter. The game was over. And uh, after after Kansas came out and sort of punched OU in the mouth a bit, OU went on a forty-two to nothing run where they pretty much went score, stop, score, stop. They were and you know that middle portion of the game that you mentioned, and they were really good. So I don't think this was a complete throwaway game. There's some things that you can take from it that they did well, and there's some things that you just want to forget about or improve on. So as uh, you were talking there, I kind of started thinking a little bit too about something that that we probably have not done that good of a job with this year as far as perspective has gone. And maybe we have, and I'm just blanking right now. But I suppose when you look at it this way, because I, I, obviously my opening take, I'm a little hard on the defense. And a lot of these podcasts, we focus on the defense a lot. Because, again, the offense is good. Granted, the offense wasn't as sharp Saturday, but we'll talk about that probably a little bit later in the show. But I guess if you th think about it, last year we were just starving for any sort of any sort of life from the defense. If they got a stop, if they had a three and out, it was a big deal a season ago. And this year, there's been multiple three and outs. And the first quarters of games, as I mentioned in the opening take, Oklahoma had outscored teams 55 to nothing. And both sides of the football had come out the previous four games fast, sharp, scoring points on offense and preventing points on defense. And that didn't necessarily happen against Kansas Saturday. But the reason I bring this all up is you mentioned that, yeah, it was 42-7. to Oklahoma had gotten off the field six straight times. Technically, it was seven straight times, but one of the drives was that final drive Kansas had going into halftime, and it was only you know 30 seconds on the clock. So 
you know, throw that one out because that was kind of an easy one for Oklahoma to get Kansas off the field. But we saw Oklahoma, yeah, get seven straight stops technically against Kansas and the offense built margin and they got up to that 35-point lead. So if you think of it in the lens of the team last year, we'd be kind of leaving this game, even though it was a 25-point victory. If it was last season, they'd like, oh, the defense was good for the majority of the game, and that's great. Whereas now I think the standard in at least my eyes, and I'd hope maybe in your eyes and some Sooners fans' eyes too, is that the standard's higher this year and that the garbage time touchdowns, the first quarter score going 99 and a half yards essentially in the first quarter, that was enough to make me not happy with the way the defense, is, uh, the defense performed. And I suppose, again, it's because the bar is higher right now than it was, let's say, a year ago. How do you feel about that theory? I know. I, I totally see where you're coming from. I guess I just... After rewatching the game, I suppose I just choose to take, you know, more of a half glass full approach to this because that's what I saw. Um, I saw, a, a, you know, take a, Lee, Kansas scored two touchdowns on their final two drives of the game. Kansas was still playing their their starters, all of their starters. OU, that's when they were starting to rotate in some of their backups. And that's not an excuse. The last two games, we've seen the backups get the other team off the field. But this time around, Lee, their last two drives, Lee, Kansas ran eight plays and had 145 yards before that they ran 52 plays and had 215 yards that's only a shade over four yards per play I mean up to that point Lee OU's defense was dominating outside of really a handful of plays for Kansas um the one thing the one thing I'm most concerned about with the defense after this game is their propensity so far this season to give up explosive plays on the ground Um, not maintaining gap discipline. And that's pretty much all that you saw in this game when Puka Williams uh, was let loose. It was because of really poor gap discipline and being too overly aggressive. And um, I think this was a game, Lee, where Oklahoma had a lot of stuffs. They had seven tackles behind the line of scrimmage. And I would say they probably had equal that, maybe even more tackles for no gain or tackle for a yard or a couple. There was a lot of plays where Kansas just did not move at all in this game. Um, so I would suspect that OU's defensive success rate in this game was probably really good, probably probably close to 30%, which is elite. Um, they just they have to avoid those glitches where they're able to give up creases and open space and those explosive plays. And that's something I think that they can they can improve upon, but also that's something I think that we need to, one, be comfortable with, be patient with, because this is what we asked for. We asked for the more aggressive defense, and this is a new system for them, and while they're learning it, there are going to be glitches like this. And if they're able to get all of those tackles behind the line of scrimmage, tackles for no gain, and the havoc plays, that's a trade I'm willing to make. And, you know, Kansas does have some decent offensive players that they haven't had in the past. When Puka has any space at all, he's really explosive and a really uh, impressive player. They have a receiver who I think is really solid and is a good Big 12 player, Parchment. Um, Sometimes good players make good plays. Carter Stanley was even dropping dimes at times yesterday. Um, So, I, you know, outside of some plays here or there, I thought the defense for the most part was pretty good. Can you nitpick those other plays and say we need to get better there? Yeah, absolutely, especially with Texas coming up. Um... But for anyone panicking after this game, I would recommend rewatching it. There was much more domination in this game than there was the reverse. This is why I love what we do here on this podcast, because you never know what you're going to get, because a lot of the times it seems like you're kind of the more pessimistic one and, and you see things maybe from a glass half empty kind of thing. And, and recently on the podcast, we've 
kind of joked around about how you're kind of the heel you you're the bad guy where you know you'll have opinions and you know people won't like it things like that and I'm always kind of more yeah stay positive not you know let's look at it this way come on here we go and it's reversed this time where I'm feeling a little more down on the defense where you're making a lot of really good points about the defense on Saturday that I hadn't necessarily considered especially your point about how before those last two Kansas drives the defense yards per play was pretty low you said around four that is really good and you're right now I think back more to it there was a lot of hits in the backfield or stuffs, run stuffs, even though there were those explosive puka plays. So uh, I think you've done a nice job of swaying me a bit because I I, I did I, – I rewatched the game just like you did. And, you know, I – my first watch was on the field in Lawrence just from, you know, through a camera lens, field level. And then my second watch is th- TV up top. And I came away kind of thinking that what I kind of thought on the field. It was – it was an up-and-down game, an uneven game, where Oklahoma played really well in the middle portion, but I, I was not happy with the way they played at the start and at the end. And you know what? A big portion of why I'm annoyed is probably because it was 42-7, to and Oklahoma looked like they were going for you know another uh, – you know they had a, a Justin Broyles interception that was called back due to penalty that looked like it was going to set up another Oklahoma scoring opportunity to get another touchdown to make that cover really easy. But it didn't happen, and the two garbage time scores really annoyed me because, you know us, we like to talk about those, those gambling lines. And you know what? Maybe that's clouding my judgment a bit too because they couldn't cover the spread. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, probably. And I was annoyed as well. I, I, I think the best way to describe those two garbage touchdowns are they're just annoying as hell. They're really, really annoying. Um, and, you know, they're going to happen sometimes. Kansas was still playing really hard those last two possessions. They had their starters in. Kansas had, has had some success offensively this season. Um, and you know what? They did make some plays. They, they made some plays. The The first touchdown pass that Carter Stanley threw was a dime, although I do yeah. kind of feel like uh, upon rewatching it, Parnell Motley maybe still should have made a play on it, uh, but it, the ball could not have been more perfectly placed, and the same can be said for uh, a, a couple of other throws that Carter Stanley made. He made a back shoulder throw in the fourth quarter of that game on one of those drives. That was just absurd, um, and so I sometimes you just got to tip your cap and OU was OU's defense was a lot better than Kansas's offense on a majority of the plays on Saturday. If you want to go to a side of the ball where you, I, I, I thought the offense showed more things to be worried about um, on Saturday, and and that's mostly because of injuries on the offensive line. But we can get into that. Yeah, let's let's hold off on offense while we still talk about the defense. And there was the third quarter where Stanley <laughs> threw a back shoulder throw, and I don't think I've ever seen a ball arrive immediately after a guy turns around like it was I can't remember the receiver but I had a great view of it because I was behind the play and literally the guy turned around and the ball hit him and the ball caught him I've never seen it that perfectly timed before you remember the play I'm talking about yeah it was that it was, was hilarious I, it was arguably offensive PI too but um yeah, Parnell Motley could, really wanted it it was yeah it was great timing I mean by uh, Stanley on the play and, and again the ball caught him and you could see on the replay from the field level you could see Riley in the background Lincoln Riley in the background kind of uh when the ball hit the guy and and he caught it he just kind of shrugged his shoulders like ah come on and I don't know if maybe he was reacting to he thought it should have been offensive pass interference 
and there was no flag. That could have been it too. But uh, could have also anyways, been reacting just, to the fact that it was indefensible. Couldn't do anything about it. That and yeah, it was also it was like wow, and, what a play. It's also <laughs> just kind of silly. Carter Stanley making throws like that. That was off his back foot with Jalen Redmond about to pulverize him as well mm-hmm. too. So I mean, it was just plays like that. That play would have been made against any defense in the country. So sometimes you just got to tip your cap. All right, Parnell Motley was covering on that play, and I have a couple things I want to talk about with him. And it looked to me, Grant, that Motley, he didn't play very well in that game. He I had think his first kind of meh game. Yeah. 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 And you could say it's a bad game. I, I Compared to what he's done so far, which has been pretty much play elite football from the cornerback position, it was a bad game from that standard. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an ominous ominous an ominous start to the game when he was flagged for that pi on ku's first series and he was grabbing and tugging the wide receiver the entire time it was an easy call for the official and you know i i thought his technique has improved but man that was that was sloppy yeah on like that why play. i think he, he was I, yeah he was in good position he didn't have to do any of the stuff that he did yeah yeah and we can have a discussion about penalties later on too because you know there's a, a fine line between being aggressive and 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 not but man Oklahoma is one of the most heavily penalized teams in college football and that trend continued on Saturday but and, and you mentioned that touchdown pass that first touchdown pass I you know I I it was a great throw I I'm not going to put that too much on him sometimes you just can't defend that stuff uh, but there was an, another perfect throw late in the fourth quarter too that Stanley put over top of Motley for another big play too uh, that really you can't really blame him because it was a great throw but also in the fourth quarter and this is my biggest concern Grant is that he's got good coverage on a fade route the ball is thrown right to him and he drops it he drops the interception and I know it would not have counted if he caught the ball because Brian Mead was was a flag for roughing the passer penalty but Grant that's two games in a row where Parnell Motley has dropped a very catchable pass from the opposing quarterback, and we've had this whole idea of emphasizing turnovers since January, since Alex Grinch got to Norman, and the whole idea was that eventually you'd have these guys comfortable with the idea that they're supposed to get the football back every single play. That's what Alex Grinch said at his very first press conference, that the object of the defense is every single snap to get the ball back to the offense, and when your best cover corner just can't catch, I that's not good for morale, and I think what what I'm concerned about what's going to potentially happen. And again, zero turnovers officially in that game on Saturday because Burles' interception was called back due to penalty. Maybe that uneasy mentality that the defensive players that have been here in the past, you know, maybe a here we go again, you know, we're still that old bad defense that never made a play. I'm afraid that that might, that can seep back in if these guys keep dropping these easy turnovers. So that concerned me about Parnell Motley on Saturday. I don't know if it's much of a concern just because I just catch the ball. I mean, the play is right there to be made. That's a, I mean, he's going to make How that play more often year, than though, not. Were we like, just catch the ball, defensive backs. It's there. And that was without Alex Grinch being the defensive coordinator. I mean, they couldn't catch a season ago either. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they got to be better in that regard. I, I mean, I don't really know what else to tell you. They're, they're not perfect. Right. They're, they're a whole heck of a lot better though. And so, you know, I, yeah, they're again, based on how Motley has played so far this year, which has been elite-level cornerback play. He's been great. He's been one of the best players on the defense. This Saturday game against KU was was not good. Yeah, he wasn't based great. Based on in the fact, standard that he's set so far for himself this year. Yeah, in fact, this was, he, probably, he would know that. This was probably the that. worst game the corners as a group probably had this season. 
Uh, which yeah, is, we, we saw some plays given up on the outside for the first time really all year. Yeah, and all of the, you know, the, the, the trio that's been so good this year, Motley, Brown, and Davis, they all had their warts on Saturday. And you know what? That's, it's, it's okay. They weren't, because they weren't terrible. I mean, it wasn't, sure, it, sure. like, it wasn't, it wasn't 2017 Oklahoma State where, where everyone they put in there was just getting roasted over and over <laughs> again. It wasn't that. So, yeah. every week is different. Kansas does, it, Kansas is a better team than they've been in the past, and OU still dominated that game. That game was over, essentially, when Oklahoma took the lead. And, you know, I, I wish they would have played better, but there's still stuff to improve on. Um, I, I do want to bring up some other stuff because we, we mentioned that we thought I thought the corners had their worst game of the season. But, Lee, I thought arguably the safeties maybe played their best game of the season, um, especially uh, in terms of tackling. I thought uh, Delarian Turner-Yell did miss some tackles near the line of scrimmage, but he also made some really good plays on Puka Williams throughout the game as well. Uh, I thought Patrick Fields had some nice plays. He had that sack. He had a pass breakup on third down. He had some nice tackles along the line of scrimmage. And also, Lee, the one guy on the defense who I think stock is was up the highest after this game. We like to talk about playing a lot of guys, building that depth. Lee, I think Brian Asamoah is emerging as the third best linebacker on the team. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, noticed Asamoah as well, too, and I had some notes. Uh, on that sack, I mean, he... He closes, he closes really fast. Quick. Yeah. And we've seen that this year. He did that against UCLA late in that game as well. And it wasn't just the sack. I mean, he looked like he was getting his nose in there, making tackles, and it seemed like his instincts were pretty good. I agree. He's a player that is starting to flash, and the linebacker group as a whole, we knew we had Kenneth Murray, and we knew we had Deshaun White. We didn't know about many other guys in the offseason going in. We were concerned about that linebacker depth, and yeah, Asamoah, that's a pleasant surprise, and I know for you, Grant, you're probably even more excited about him because he's one of the all, uh, you know, all uniform. He wears a uniform looking, you know. very man, well. I, you put him I and Murray that, on yeah. the field at the same time. Oh man, that's that's pretty right there. Yeah, Asamoa did look good. He he stood out to me as well. Let me check really quick. He ended up with three tackles in the game, and you mentioned Delarian Turner. Yeah, he led the team with seven tackles, had a one TFL, and yeah, I thought he played well. And I think I think the safeties did play pretty well I yeah maybe it was their best game I, I you mentioned Patrick Fields I'm glad you did I wanted to highlight him for that nice pass breakup on third down because Kansas clearly had seen a lot of stuff on film they were picking on him with the tight end up the seam it was an out route and Fields you know it was in man coverage and he did a nice job of knocking the ball away and on the field during the game field level I kind of thought he might have got away with one there but when I watched it back I thought like it was a pretty good I thought it was a pretty good no call there and and that play kind of suggests to me that he might be improving his coverage skills since uh since the beginning of the season and that's something that he has talked about how he wants to keep improving getting better at so it's nice to see that worked out at least on that particular play and then yeah coming up near the line of scrimmage and making some plays had that sack as well that's good even because tackling has been uh, has been and always will be it seems like an issue for Oklahoma on the back end yeah and then you know just because I brought up DTY having a good game I do want to point out that on that 99 yard touchdown drive for Kansas DTY missed a you know missed an open field tackle on Puka Williams right at the line of yep, scrimmage right at the line of scrimmage and that's when yep. he you know and it was just a one cut and go from Puka but if you're DTY you gotta make that play they had him they had him right there you gotta make that play 
Agree. Agree. Uh, let's see. Other defensive backs. I just wanted to talk a little bit about, too, that I mentioned Justin Broyles, the interception that got called back. And that was two plays after Parnell Motley. Again, the, he dropped the pick, but it wouldn't have counted because of the flag. But uh, there was a, you know, a flag for defensive holding prior to the pass that wiped out Broyles' pick, and they called it on Justin Broyles. The rewatch, the, the, the video on YouTube that I watched, it might have been the same as you, they didn't show a replay of the interception. I don't think there's any way that Justin Broyles could have even contacted anybody on that play before the ball got to him. So I think they might have got it wrong as far as the penalty. I, it was supposed to it, be on it was supposed to be on DTY, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it was on him too because you could tell that the guy uh he was covering the receiver made a double move and I'm gonna guess that DTY reached out, probably grabbed the guy and and held him up. Yeah, I was looking was for called. it because yeah. yeah, on the on the replay they didn't show uh, or on the YouTube video we watched it, they didn't show a replay of it. So I was actually watching closely I went back and watched it twice, and I didn't see anything from like the the game camera that was like blatant or anything. So it, it must have been. I, I'm sure it happened though. I, I don't. It, it looked kind yeah, of weird just, when you know when Broyles picked it off. So you know, I, I you know it's they they got to get better, and that's it's okay. They you know they definitely took a step ahead against Texas Tech. They may have taken a small step back, and that even that's debatable because it was all in, in garbage time. But you know they got to get better. Texas is coming is is going to be coming into this game next Saturday anyway, not having the best offensive performance you know of their season either. So um, people are going to have to get better you know around. So I'm just I, I'm not it. it's I, I'm just I'm not panicking about it because I, I didn't sure. think there was anything there to panic about. We've been kind of pointing out some negative things. I do want to move back into the positives on the defense, and I wanted to highlight. The entire defense, because I thought the the best defensive series, the, the biggest highlight of the game, Grant, came when Oklahoma's defense near the end of the second quarter got that three and out near the goal line after Oklahoma had previously had a goal-to-go situation on offense and then had to punt, which, sure, we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the offense. But I wanted to highlight the defense because Gallimore on third down blew up that third down play. Uh, Patrick Fields also came up near the line of scrimmage and, and – aggressively showed run support that was a perfect three and out Oklahoma began that series with all of their timeouts for the half Lincoln Riley used them all up forced that punt the special teams made a play CD Lamb with that great punt return there was a KU face mask that added on to it as well set up a first and goal from the 10 and then that's when Oklahoma's offense took advantage CD Lamb scored on the very next play and and made it 21 to 7 and then Oklahoma got the ball to start the third quarter so it was just a perfectly executed situation by all facets of the team starting with the defense getting them off the field and then the you know special teams and then the offense taking advantage and then obviously it's just huge and Oklahoma gets the ball to start the third quarter so I wanted to highlight that as well and I'll pause in case you wanted to comment on any of that you know that that kind of series of events on that defensive series where they got Kansas to go three and out at the end of the half Puka Williams ran up the middle for four yards on the first play. They called a timeout. On second and six, they ran that little pitch play, and Puka Williams had to kick it to the outside. And Neville Gallimore ran down Puka Williams behind the line of scrimmage and brought him down with one hand for a loss of four. It was awesome. That was the third down play, wasn't it? Was that the third it was down play? Almost a safety. Or it was almost to the like to to the end zone. I'm, yeah, yeah, that I, was that was yeah, that was third down. Was it okay? Either way, it was an awesome play. Mm-hmm. So and I, I so I, I I did want to make sure that I 
you know, that you mentioned that because after that third and goal from the 50 debacle, which, you know, my official stance on that is throw it away. Forget about that. That was just such a weird series of events. Um, penalties, terrible play calls. I don't know what they were doing. Just throw it away. It was a garbage, garbage series. That's one that you can forget about. Um, but after that series, Lee, that's when OU, that's when they woke up and that's when they completely c- took control of the game. They handled the end of half scenario perfectly. They got that three and out, used their timeouts perfectly. They had a good special teams play with CD Lamb. They scored on the very next play. They scored to open the second half, got a three and out, scored again, got another stop, scored again. Game over, domination cemented. I mean, that was just, uh, like I said, I mean, that was a, or like I said last week, that that stretch of the game was 2008-esque, where they just bury opponents, and it's over. It's over in a blink of an eye. That's what that sequence was like. Very well done. Two more defensive little nuggets, and it's about individual players, and both of them not necessarily on the positive end, but I noticed it in the rewatch, and I just I got to bring it up, and uh, I'll start with, I'll start with one that I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised on both of them, but I'll start with Trajan Bridges, Grant. I didn't see him in the secondary at all. I didn't see him take any snaps playing defense at all. Did you notice him out there? No, he was with the wide receivers. See, I, I didn't notice. So oh, during pregame, were people yeah. tweeting about that? I didn't. Yeah, he warmed up with the, with the receivers in, in pregame. So okay, I think, yeah, I I think that experiment is over. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't... Uh, Get a chance to get out and see the wide receivers in pregame. We sure I saw, was, we sure saw Robert Barnes though, and he got freaking roasted, man. That was my next note. Robert Barnes was playing corner. That, and immediately when he was playing corner, it's like Kansas saw him, and they threw that that deep fade go route over top for the the second touchdown of the game to make it forty two to fourteen. I. I mean, that's an experiment right there. Hey, you know, Robert Barnes, go out there and see if you can cover a guy on an island one-on-one. And the guy just ran right by him and, and had him by a step and a half, and it was a touchdown for Kansas. So that was bizarre. I did not anticipate seeing Robert Barnes playing corner. And it was for one snap, and it didn't go well. So, man, that's tough. I mean, I, I'm happy that they're trying to get him involved and trying to find ways to utilize him, but cornerback does not seem like it's going to be part of his repertoire this year yeah I mean I would much rather they just put Jordan Parker there there's no reason to to screw around with that right I mean I didn't see Parker at all in the game I yeah didn't, I didn't either got any snap I didn't maybe, either maybe late in that maybe the last drive or something he played and I just didn't notice but yeah but I mean um, at this point and I know he hasn't been like extremely impressive up to this point but as a fourth cornerback I they might as well just ride with Parker I don't think there's anything wrong with that the guy's the guy's a fourth-year junior. He's been in the program a long time. Okay, so those are my final notes on the defense. Uh, let's go to the offense now. So a little bit more, I shouldn't say a little bit more, but definitely a lot to talk about offensively. And you mentioned a moment ago there's some question marks or some easy, uneasiness there with the offense. Is there anything off the top of your head that you wanted to jump on right away to kind of get the ball rolling? Yeah, I'm worried about the health of the offensive line. Um, there were definitely times on Saturday where they just did not play well at all. Um, giving up a lot of penetration, 
not really moving the guys in front of them a lot at times. And, you know, there were times where Jalen Hurts had all day to throw and they were doing a really good job. Um, But there were times where there were certainly some issues and they had trouble running the ball up the middle. They had trouble with the inside zone. It seemed like every single time they tried to run to the edge, they had a lot of success and were able to pick up chunk yardage. But kind of running into the heart of the defense, they really struggled. And there were times I thought that Jalen Hurts was, you know, was unnecessarily under pressure. There were some there were some pressure looks that Kansas showed that obviously I thought confused the offensive line. And so at this point, I'm just I'm I'm hoping that Adrian Ely is is going to be healthy and back next week. And then in, in terms of Eric Swenson, I I don't know because I, I don't I don't really want R.J. Proctor playing extended minutes against anybody noteworthy. And that that may sound harsh at this point in time, but I, the guy's a backup. That's what he is. So yeah, you mentioned Proctor, Swenson, Ely. Swenson and Ely both out against Kansas. Swenson is a surprise one. We kind of figured Ely would not play because he didn't play the week before. And and uh, Riley had said, again, it's it's a week-to-week type injury. It's not a long-term thing. If I had to guess right now with uh, with no inside information, I'm going to guess that he's going to be able uh, he'll, – he'll be able to play against Texas. Just That's the vibe I get. And again, the last year – maybe even last two years, around Texas time, it seems like Oklahoma, they have these kind of random injuries, and I'm using like air quotes a bit, that kind of pop up, and it also almost seems like a, just a super conservative way to keep guys out to make them extra fresh for Texas. And, and again, that's just my opinion. I, I don't know if that's what they're doing, but that certainly seems to be the case, I think, for a guy like Kennedy Brooks, who didn't play in the game at all, and I kind of had a feeling that he wouldn't play, as we or, talked about last podcast. Or he actually is hurt, and they're not saying it that that's the worst case scenario yeah uh although Lincoln Riley did say that after the game that they were probably a little bit conservative with Kennedy Brooks on Saturday and that he will be ready to go against Texas that's what Riley said after the game it sounds like the exact thing that I kind of figured happened with him is that he took that hit I I think he's fine I think he's not injured but he's probably a bit uh sore maybe that's kind of like tweak something it's like you know what it's Kansas there's no need to rush you back because you're not 100%. So let's take that extra week before Texas and and get you ready to go so you're as fresh as possible for the week ahead. So anyways, Kennedy Brooks not playing. Wanted to, to touch on that. That was going to be something we definitely touched on, but uh, figured it kind of flowed with that discussion there. But yeah, I just wanted to bring up the offensive line. Five different uh, offensive line starting lineups in five games. And on Saturday, it was from left to right. It was Proctor, Hayes, Creed Humphrey, Bray Walker, Tyrese Robinson getting his second consecutive start at right tackle. And uh, we always like to talk about, Grant, how Bill Biedenboe's group always seems to kind of start to gel around midseason, and we're, we're getting there now. We're getting we're through five games, really through through six weeks as Oklahoma already has a bye. We're hoping, okay, this is the time of year where they start to play really well. Kind of tough to do that when there's all these different lineup changes and, and there's not a whole lot of consistency on the starting offensive line, right? It's We, we may have to to kind of hold back our expectations this year and, and maybe they won't gel like we hope they will. Best case scenario, until later in the year, just happens to be at a really bad time right now because the toughest game of the seasons to this, uh, to this day it's upcoming a week from now. Yeah, I mean, having injury issues on the offensive line really sucks. And especially an offensive line that doesn't have a whole lot of depth right now. So I, I I guess there's what what else can you do except just hope that that the two guys get healthy for next week. And I just I mean, I have no idea about Eric Swenson. 
You know, he he left the he didn't play in the second half at all against Texas Tech. Um, I know he had like a brace on his knee or something like that. So I hope he's not seriously injured. But I, you know, I get kind of when I don't hear anything from the coaching staff, that's when I get a little concerned because I mean we had no idea that he was that he was injured to the point where he might miss a game. So I don't and know. Riley didn't didn't shed any additional light on Swenson or Ely after the game on Saturday. So we'll have to figure out we'll we'll try to get some more information Monday at Lincoln Riley's weekly press conference to see how much he gives away about the status of Ely and Swenson. Given that it's Texas week, he probably won't give away anything at all. That's my prediction. But uh, it is, I think it is it's good though to hear that when it comes to Kennedy Brooks, he did straight up say that he expects Brooks to play against Texas. So I think that's a good sign. And you know, even if he doesn't, his his backup or his quote unquote backup is an NFL player anyway. So Ramondre Stevenson. Yep. Uh, I mean, the guys. He's really good. I don't know. I, I I still think there's some things that he's getting. I think he's still adjusting to the speed of the game. And if that is the case, look out. Um, because there are some times where he still looks a little uneasy. But man, I mean, how many wow runs has he already had this season and very limited playing time? Plenty. I mean, only five carries on Saturday. And he led the team in rushing. Obviously, the big 61-yard touchdown run you heard in the intro was a big reason why he had 109 yards. He also had a catch. He had one catch, right? And he looked pretty good on that catching the ball in the backfield. It's always nice to see these, you know, Lincoln Riley develops these running backs and they can all catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, they're all complete players. And uh, Stevenson, I think defenders are starting to learn that you cannot go high on Ramondre Stevenson. Two different explosive plays where he showed the ability to kind of bounce off defenders and then kick it into another gear and, and outrun people. The first one came in the first half where I think he had, you know, 20, 30 yard explosive play and then obviously the touchdown run to begin the fourth quarter or, you know, the first drive or one of the, the opening plays of the fourth quarter. So, yeah, he's a really fun player to watch. And I got to give you credit. I'm not sure if there's any other people and maybe there were in the offseason that were talking about Ramondre Stevenson being a, a player that could contribute and be really good. You were talking about it all the way back to the, the spring and you're really excited about Ramondre and he has been maybe even better than than we all would have thought he'd be. What are the chances? And and I don't think he's there yet because, like I said, I still think there's he shows some instances where he's still kind of trying to feel out the speed of the game. But what are the chances, Lee, we get to December and Ramondre Stevenson is the best running back on this team? Like their number one guy, the guy who's getting a, the bulk of the carries. Hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say very high because I unless – Unless Sermon or Brooks miss time, you know, miss extended time. I mean, have I, either of those guys shown the explosiveness that Stevenson has? Well, Brooks has the ability to be. Pretty yeah, explosive. I know, I know, and I know Brooks is only. But I get. I know Brooks I only has like point, twelve though. carries too. But that's the thing with Kennedy Brooks. That yeah, it's it's a little disconcerting that he's a little nicked up right now. But here's the thing with Brooks, is that man, he has got to be fresh. He's fresh. I mean, he, yeah. And I mean, it's a long season. And, and I mean, it, I wish it was longer because football season, you blink and it's gone, it seems like. But in, in terms of the amount of snaps, amount of games, especially for, especially for a running back, it's a long season. And Kennedy Brooks has very little wear and tear in 2019. And really, Trey Sermon doesn't have a lot of wear and tear either, maybe compared to the last couple of years. Because, I mean, think about the last week. I think he only had like seven carries against Texas Tech. Yeah, Sermon has you like know, 35 and, carries this year. 
So Chuba, ha- Chuba Hubbard had be... more than that against Texas last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has got to be a a thing that Lincoln Riley is doing on purpose. He wants to keep his guys fresh. The downside is that boy Jalen Hurts has taken a decent amount of hits because he's running the ball quite a bit, and he's a guy that clearly is like ah, I can take it, whatever. That's part of my game, and he's been fine. But uh, you know, I I think we certainly underestimated the amount of work that Hurts would take away from Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon. I mean, we figured there'd be a little, obviously Jalen Hurts' running ability is very good that he would be able to do it, but I think he's taken away a ton of work from those guys. And I think in the long run, what Lincoln Riley is banking on is that it works out, that it's, it's for the best because as the season gets, gets longer, those guys will be even more fresh. No, I'm, I, I'm okay with it. Jalen Hurts' running ability is what is unlocking this offense right now to get to the heights that we haven't seen yet of it. It's, it's, I, you know, Jalen Hurts' running ability is, is a feature of the offense this season, a la Cam Newton in, in 2010 Auburn. I mean, that, that's what it's like. And I think everyone just needs to get used to it because I, that's, that's what's made them so effective this year. They've been able to do so, so much cool stuff off the thread of Jalen Hurts running. Well, let's talk about Jalen Hurts. How did you think he played on Saturday? I thought, I, I thought it was probably the game where he showed kind of the most warts this season. Um, there were some bad plays there. Uh, he should have thrown a pick six early in the in the first half that uh, was just dropped yep. by Mike Lee. Um, I, I really hated that interception that he threw to uh, to Trey Sermon. That just it just wasn't necessary. It was just a bad decision. Um, Nice yeah. play by yeah. the defender, though. There, there were really times nice where play, I thought yeah, he got it was, it was underthrown. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. There were times I thought he got he got a little happy feet in the pocket, um, but you know there were also times where he looked really good again, where he did a good job reacting to the pressure, stepping up, finding time, hitting guys over the middle. Um, he missed a just a wide open Jaden Hazelwood streaking down the field in the second half. That was frustrating. Um, they ended up he scoring. He also missed an open CD Lamb in the first quarter. His deep ball was yep, a little yep. off. And his deep ball has been pretty darn good this year. So um, that's you know that's not great to see. But I think it's fair to say you know unless we see it develop as some sort of trend, I think it's pretty easy to say, hey, it was a it was a gross day where it was windy and it was wet. And I think it's it's pretty easy just to chalk it up to that and the weird circumstances of the game. The entire offense was was kind of out of sync. And really, Lee, the offense last season against Kansas was out of sync as well. It makes me think if there's if there's just something that they do there that they've they've figured out a way to disrupt OU's offense at times because I I kind of feel like they've gotten OU down behind the line of scrimmage more so than any other team the last couple of years. I noticed early in the game, and I can't remember if it continued throughout the entirety of the game, but it seemed like they just had a an outside backer or maybe it was a safety just constantly rush in like in a run blitz off the edge to take away the GT counter and kind of follow back behind the play and and that was working for them and then I saw that you know Lincoln Riley is so creative there was at least one time where he you know he runs the GT counter action but then has Hertz you know keep it going the other way because everyone starts flowing towards where he's going to hand the ball off and then the play goes the other way and so he does those nice wrinkles to get the defense obviously thinking oh Okay, we can't sell out every single time when we see those two guys pulling around. It's going to be maybe something else. Like, what if they call a pass play? So, I mean, and, and Riley knows that's his bread and butter, and you, you constantly see variations of that and different things. And 
And hopefully we'll see a lot more of that against Texas because they're going to be keying on that as well. But um, I'm glad you yeah, brought I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about Kansas. You know, with the with the outside linebacker sort of crashing in whenever the the, the guard and the tackle pull like that. That's not new. That's been pulled out before in an attempt to to stop the GT counter. I think the first time I ever really saw that aggressively was. Uh, was TCU with Gary Patterson, you know, a couple years ago, started attacking it like that. And that's when Lincoln Riley added on the little the little backside quarterback read to that. And uh, I actually haven't seen a whole lot of that this year in that exact sort of way. And so if a team starts to get really aggressive with that, that's when Riley starts to basically, you know, unblock that guy and leave the quarterback to read him. So... If you know if teams see that on film and try to start to replicate it, uh, there's there's ways to counter that. So it's not really something I'm I'm extremely worried about. Let's highlight C.D. Lamb for the second straight game. He didn't have a whole lot in the stats column. He did have that one touchdown. That was a a play where he did a little orbit motion to the field side and and Oklahoma. Speaking of the GT counter, Oklahoma ran a play action pass, kind of using the GT counter principles back to the boundary side and I thought Kansas defended it pretty well in the sense that when he swung it over to CeeDee Lamb on that swing pass that there was a defender right there but the thing is that CeeDee Lamb is just an elite player he makes the guy miss and then scores the touchdown and that was when the offense took advantage of the defense's three and out late in the first half and got that touchdown just before halftime. CeeDee also had a, a punt return that we mentioned a little bit ago that set up that his own touchdown and he also had a punt return touchdown wiped off the board by penalty, which was super frustrating because CD came right to me in the end zone when I was shooting that, and that was a great highlight that didn't count. So and the hold, throw that away. And the hold occurred before CD even touched the ball. That's really frustrating. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That makes it even worse. And that just goes back to the penalty stuff. So I wanted to highlight CD, and perhaps maybe that can – transition us to a brief discussion about these penalties grant because Riley keeps getting asked about penalties and he he keeps saying that some variation of yeah I, I know penalties aren't good but he he never wants to tell the guys to stop being aggressive because you know you look back to you know you look at the end of the year at the teams that are the the least penalized teams in college football check out their win loss record and it's probably not going to be all that great so he realized that penalties are bad and they got to clean some things up and, and the penalties kind of prevented them from getting that separation that they wanted in this game. But also he's trying to wrestle with, you know, hey, keep playing aggressive because it's, you know, they're winning games and, and they're winning games by a lot of points. And so I don't know. I Man, I, I saw a stat during the game and I just hadn't looked into this yet previously, but I mean, Oklahoma was almost dead last in college football in penalty yards. And it's it's got to be the same because I think they were penalized for almost, you know, 80 or 90 yards against Kansas. It's annoying these penalties. It seems like they're sometimes they're you know dumb holding calls. I mean, there was the offensive line was called for holding a bit, but then you got the defense, you know, with the the holding on the the Broyles pick or uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of other defensive penalties that that happened in the game that that annoy me too. But either way, it's I don't know if there's really a, an easy solution to this. I just wish defensively that uh, the technique gets better that they keep grabbing and, and jostling with players, maybe especially against Texas this week. We all know the old cliche, when you go to the Cotton Bowl, you got to be at least 10 points better than Texas because maybe that's an old biased thing. But I still kind of believe in that a little bit. Where the It seems like Texas does get some breaks here and there in that game. And, and you know, may, maybe that's 
one of my my few crimson and color glass takes I have because I try to wipe that crap out because I, I take pride in not being that biased. But I still kind of believe in that a little bit when Oklahoma plays Texas. I don't know where you stand in that, but the penalties, yeah, I, I'm annoyed by it, but I'm not so sure there's there's a, an easy solution. What do you think? Um, you know, I, yeah, obviously you don't like penalties, and it's always something to improve on. But I'm not sure there's there's a direct correlation between being a highly penalized team and that necessarily hurting you over the course of the season. It can obviously hurt you like in a close game, and that's when you want to cut those down. But, I mean, going back, and not not to overly mention the 2008 team too much, but if you recall, Lee, and I remember this vividly, that 2008 national title game between Oklahoma and Florida, OU and Florida were by far the two most penalized teams in the country that season, going into that game. And I think it does have a lot to do with aggressiveness and whatnot. And you even saw, I mean, and this is going way back, but a lot of those Miami dynasties, like in the early 90s and the 80s, they were the most penalized team in the country like those so a lot of that I think is aggressiveness the thing that drives me nuts are the personal foul penalties the ones that don't need to happen the ones where you just keep your cool and you're fine um but other than that uh, I yeah, mean that's a good point yeah and other than that penalties are going to happen I know that one you mentioned uh uh hurts overthrowing CD on the long ball they called offensive PI on CD on that one anyway oh yeah like, yeah know, that's right stuff like that I mean let that go I mean that's that's a fluke that's a total fluke. So, um, yeah, obviously at this point it's a trend and this team does struggle with penalties, but I I don't know what else you can do besides just hope that it gets better because to this point, I mean, they're still killing teams, you know? I it Yeah. It's it's not going to be an issue until it until it happens or until it pops up in a close game and really you just hope that it doesn't start next week in Dallas. And about Dallas about, you know, about having to be 10 points better than Texas. Yeah, I mean that's a thing that that fans like to say. Does it have truth to it? I don't know. That's that's one of those things that we're all emotional about. I do know that the 2017 game was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen, and it was mostly in Texas's favor. Um, last year, I don't really remember anything egregious, so I think it's it's mostly on a case by case basis. But no, I don't I don't really recall any instance where OU blatantly got the favor of refs in that game. Um, but honestly, maybe the, we could ask a Texas fan. Yeah. Maybe we could ask a Texas fan, and they would have a different mm. opinion. I'm, maybe I'm they sure. Could say, oh yeah, this this play here, you know, and it, it doesn't. Maybe they'd be right, and we just don't remember because it's easier to remember the things that that don't benefit your team than do. Yeah, for sure. I think back to 2008. I still think. Uh, I mean, I I think Texas is still holding on that Jordan Shipley kickoff return touchdown. I think every single Oklahoma player was held at some. Maybe not every player, but I do remember watching that back a few times and thinking, my God, there's so many players getting held. The most underrated no play, uh, I think the most underrated official error of that game was when OU uh, picked the ball off in the end zone to end the drive, and they called it incomplete, and it was never reviewed or anything. That was so, God, that was so weird, because we were at the game, and we they didn't really show a good replay of it, and so we didn't really know what was going on, and then we go back and watch it on TV, and... and we're like, what? Like, why did that never never get reviewed? And back in 08, they were still reviewing stuff, but I guess it was technically called an incomplete pass, so there wasn't an official review over a turnover, and I guess Oklahoma didn't challenge it. Wow, we're we'll have plenty of time if we that decide game was to eleven years podcast. ago. Say <laughs> that's a long time ago. Let's see a couple more offensive notes before we get to three word reviews. I just wanted to point out T.J. Pledger's back. Grant, he looks explosive. 
He had a little club on his right hand, but uh, he's healthy. Again, at least he's available to play. He had some garbage time carries. Him and Marcus Major got some carries there with Tanner Mordecai in. He, uh, so good he, to see Pledger back. He hits the hole really fast once he makes up his mind. So he's a guy who I, I want to see him get some carries as the season goes along. That can, you know, in, in an offense like this where I think, you know, the offense as the Big 12 play continues to develop, I think this is going to be an offense that's predicated on the run this season. Um, and you know, it's, you can never have too many ball carries if that's the case. And so, um, I I'd like to see pleasure get, get some carries just because I think his running style is just a little different than the other guys. And I think that's valuable. All right. The last thing I wanted to point out something that stood out to me during the Lincoln Riley postgame press conference. And he does this a lot more than you would think because Oklahoma's offense is so good, but he took a lot of the blame for a lot of the play calls and kind of the, the bizarre stuff with the third down and goal from the 50. And he, I mean, Riley was basically, yeah, I wasn't very good today. And, and there was a, a funny moment in the press conference, I don't know if you saw, with a toilet, which we're going to talk about here in a moment when we do three-word reviews. But uh, he mentioned that you know Jalen Hurts kind of overcame Riley's coaching, his, his play calls quite a bit, and just kind of taking a lot of the blame for some of the, the plays that Hurts or maybe some of the moments where Hurts didn't look that good. And then uh, you know, towards the end, he was kind of talking about it again. And I just, I really enjoyed, I, I enjoy stuff like this. And I don't have the sound because I didn't have enough time to grab it and didn't get back to Norm, or didn't get back to Oklahoma City until around 1 a.m. Uh, Saturday night from Lauren. It was a long day. But uh, Riley said something to the effect of, you know, if I'm going to ask all these guys out here, my, you know, all, my team here, that, that they got to be really good and play at a high level that I owe it to these guys, I know I owe it to the rest of the guys to be at a high level myself with my play calling, and I didn't do that today. And I know it's a small thing, but just stuff like that, it tells me and shows me that Lincoln Riley, we all know his standard is so high, and he holds himself accountable, and so did Alex Grinch, by the way. He took a lot of the blame for the defense as well, not finishing and, and giving up some big plays. So I just I always like hearing that from Lincoln Riley, but saying, listen, I'm going to be up here and, and – demand that these guys play and take it seriously and perform at a high level well I owe it to them to do the same darn thing when I'm calling plays and and he didn't do that so I thought that was pretty cool from Lincoln Riley afterwards yeah and uh, it doesn't happen often but sometimes Lincoln Riley shows some shows, shows some blind spots with his play calling and sometimes he's a little too cute and that's basically what happened during that just abomination of a you know whatever the third and goal from the 50 that's that's what that was and that that's fine throw it away that, that's going to happen sometimes. Um, Lee, the last thing I wanted to discuss about the offense was, I think it's after five games now, I think a kind of an offensive trio of receivers has been established. I think the three go-to guys in this offense are obviously CeeDee Lamb and Charleston Rambo, but I think Jaden Hazelwood has established himself as the number three guy on this offense uh, in, in terms of throwing the ball. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that, and I think one of Hertz's best throws of the day went to Hazelwood when he uh, made a, a over route, went all the way across the field and caught a ball on third down near the sidelines. That was a really good throw by Hertz. Uh, it was it ended up kind of turning into some sort of an out route type pass for Hertz, and that was a really good catch and, and throw uh, there. And and I think uh, I think Hazelwood had two grabs, like five or six players on Oklahoma had two catches on Saturday. But yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it's it's clear that he's a, a pretty electric player. And uh, yeah, through five games, it's it's those players. You'll see Jeremiah Hall, get a, he had a catch and a nice job by Hertz uh, extending a play. Uh, 
but you know we're not seeing a whole lot of Grant Calcaterra. We're not seeing a whole lot of Lee Morris, who had a catch on Saturday. Braden Willis had a couple had a, catches. He did. He did. Man, he, he did. looks. Nick uh, Basquin did too. Braden Willis looks kind of gangly and awkward out in the open field, doesn't he? He does. He does. Yeah. He's. Uh, so I'm. I think I might have swung and missed on that one. I mean, I. I I kind of picked him over Jeremiah Hall as the guy who would break out with that H-back spot. And, and Jeremiah Hall with the experience, and he's pretty athletic, and he's shown that he is he's, a, he's ahead of the game there at, at that position. I mean, they both complement each other very well, but I think it's pretty clear that Hall is is the one that Riley trusts a little bit more or prefers. But and he's I been do good. like how Riley – He's been good, he's, too. Yes, he's been very good. But you can tell Riley, though, he sees a different kind of role for Braden Willis as well. He'll put Willis – He'll run him out. He'll he'll hand the ball off to Braden Willis, like as a running back, randomly here and there, which just trying things out. But uh, so yeah, I mean that position is is fine. If it's they can very get good. if they can get Braden Willis the ball in in space where he can where he can run in a straight line, I think he he seems like a guy that when he gets going in a straight line, he's he kind of gallops. I mean, just look at those long legs. And so, mm-hmm. so far, they really haven't had an opportunity like that, you know, for him. But I, I can see where the where the potential is there. But right now, Jeremiah Hall is just is just too steady. I mean, he he looks like kind of the perfect complement, right, right in between uh, Dimitri Dimitri Flowers and Carson Meyer. He's just right in between both those guys. And we even saw a, a return of the Dimitri Flowers pop pass in this game, Lee, to uh, to Jeremiah Hall. Oh yeah, we did, we did. All right, three word reviews, Grant. I know I asked you last week if you had one. Do you have one this time? Because you didn't. Have no, one last I don't. Time. I, I'm just. I'm Jeez. gonna. I'm gonna punt take on this these. seriously. It's not that take I don't take it seriously. Se- I just like it's. It's gonna be bad. I can't. I can't do it. I'm bad at these. All right. So my three word review is playing off the fact that in the post game press conference, as Riley was talking about whatever, you could hear a toilet get flushed. Uh, in the background and it was a very small post-game press conference room and there was a bathroom uh, connected to it so it was pretty easy to to hear it and and Riley heard the toilet flush and and said man that's <laughs> everyone started laughing he said that's the first time that's ever happened in my post-game press conference room and he did said well that's uh that's the way you all or he said that's what you all thought about my play calling there in, in the first half and so he was a pretty pretty funny moment where uh, uh Bradley was kind of quick on his feet, had a good comment after hearing the toilet. So my three-word review for the OU Kansas game is flush it away because it was a game where I came away initially not all that excited about it. You have changed my mind a little bit during the, the, the this podcast, but uh, I made my three-word review before the podcast, and that's what I'm going to go with, flush it away. Let's go to Twitter. A lot of responses on Twitter. Ben says, beat Texas now. Gonzo Strangelove, always giving his three-word reviews, has been a, a listener of this podcast for a while. He has a, a question ready for primetime. Steve McGeehee, my coworker at News 9, simply 5-0. and oh. Another one of my coworkers at News 9, Jed Castles in the weather department. He says, Texas scores less. A couple of three-word reviews reference kind of Oklahoma looking ahead. So Mark says, focused on Texas. Dakota says, it's Texas week. Mark uh, on Twitter is kind of with us, and, and he's annoyed. Garbage time touchdowns, and he puts a little, like, mad emoji face. Man. They're the worst, man. They're awful. 
They're just really I'm annoying. With you, Mark. It's I like I really do think I, if without those garbage time touchdowns, I think everyone has moved on from this game already and and thinks, yeah, I mean that was an okay little performance before Texas. Corey has a couple three word reviews, kind of the same theme. This one's pretty good. Caught looking ahead and lacked motivation today. And those are two things that I didn't think would happen, but uh, there's there's certainly some some situational or circumstantial evidence that maybe suggests that's what happened. Uh, Bubba, interesting. Season starts now. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this Texas game, and and you look at Oklahoma's win-loss record of the opponents that it's played, and I think I saw Caden McFarland, uh, uh, one of the Tulsa sports anchors, tweet out that it's like 5-15, and 15, the combined record of the teams Oklahoma's played. So, yeah, they just haven't been tested yet. Let's see if I can find another good one. Oh, Mark has another one here. Grant's conspiracy confirmed? The question is, which conspiracy is, it was confirmed? <laughs> you have any theories of which one? I'm trying to you think. Like Did I? Cons- you had like two conspiracies. You had like uh, the, the maybe the Kennedy Brooks is injured or maybe Adrian Ely, maybe like an injury type conspiracy I still, theory. And I then- honestly, I don't think Adrian Ely is hurt. That's I I oh, will that's, I, yeah, I, will, was, I will go full I will go full tinfoil hat on that. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Any other good ones in here? Ooh, Josh with a couple, actually three. Actually, Josh is pretty on, pretty much on fire. I, I I like Josh's here at Shaq Adams on Twitter. I'll give him a shout out. He says last year's defense, which again, there was at times it looked like last year's defense. Then he goes positive. Ramondre Stevenson, bang. <laughs> That's good. And then uh, referencing the Snoop Dogg concert, uh, Josh says, needed more Snoop. Which, did you hear that story at all? Did you care enough to... Yeah, I actually kind of thought that was a funny little story. Um, yeah, Snoop I'm, had a concert. And I'm they, reveling. And Jeff I'm, Long had to apologize for it. I'm, I'm basically, I'm reveling any sort of news about the KU basketball program potentially being just destroyed <laughs> by sanctions. Just a, a wonderful, yeah, we'll wonderful news. Uh, Amy referencing last year's game, 40 wasn't scored. So if that's the standard, I suppose it was a positive game, but I I know Amy was is being somewhat sarcastic with that. And then the last one on Twitter that I wanted to bring up, it's not really a three-word review because it doesn't qualify because it's more than three words, but Scott says, crochet lady multitasks. <laughs> is multitask technically a, th- a word of singular words? So maybe that does count. I don't know. Not but sure. I, I saw you saw that I, on I Twitter. Like a yeah, I saw that on Twitter. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I feel like you always see stuff like that from uh from games that are lightly attended because it's so much easier to spot people like that in the stands. I remember. I, I think last year the big one was uh at a Florida State game where there was only like it was only half full and there was some dude sleeping with his shirt off, like in the stands with like a <laughs> with, with like a book draped over his knee or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a good one, but um. Yeah, no, that was a. Uh, I saw a lot of people were having fun with that on Twitter yesterday. Uh, let's go over to Facebook. Caleb, uh, clearly, I I just missed the boat on the trade the Trajan Bridges thing because nobody he wasn't talked about in the post game press conference at all. But uh, uh, Caleb says best for Bridges. I'm assuming referring to the fact that he was with the wide receivers. So yeah, maybe that's over. I guess. I, man, that's if that's true. I'm disappointed. I was looking forward to the Trajan Bridges playing defense. Uh, era but yeah i guess not uh philip here comes stevenson so yeah i mean ramondre stevenson certainly is is 
a guy that's worth talking about, and he earned that. I mean, all year he's played well, but yeah, especially with Kennedy Brooks out, assuming that role as the number two back, he, as we all know, looked fantastic. Uh, a lot of stuff on Texas. You know, you got Scotty saying Texas still sucks. Trey on to Texas. Uh, Philip, this is interesting. He says tape for Texas. The, I'm a, and he's got a, an emoji, kind of like a, a frowny face. Maybe he means like, oh, like Texas has some things to work. Like he, Texas or Kansas will provide Texas with some some things that uh, can beat OU. Is that kind of yeah, how you take I'm that? Yeah, sure, I'm sure that's his, you know. There, Kansas is not the first people to put stuff on film that that has slowed down OU a little bit. Um, that's kind of the genius of Lincoln Riley. He adjusts, and and I'm you know, I assume that he's going to be able to predict kind of what Texas is going to want to do based off what they saw on film, and they'll adjust. That's that's part of the chess game that these coaches play every single week. Derek and Allen each kind of referencing the first quarter. We we'll start with Derek's first quarter flop. That's pretty good. That's a good one especially considering how good Oklahoma has been in the first quarter. And then Allen, scary first quarter. Philip Inky, uh, or Philip again, Brett uh, on the defense, zero turnovers. And uh, he, he made, to make it a three-word review, he made uh, turnovers, two words. But yeah, I mean, turnovers are emphasized. They got zero against Kansas. I don't like that. Uh, Caleb, another one, still no calc. So, yeah, referencing the fact that Grant Calcaterra just uh, has been very quiet in a year where uh, you know some publications had him maybe as a first-round type talent. He still might be because he is. He's very talented. But for whatever reason, in this, this offense with Jalen Hurts running the show, he's Calcaterra out there. has not been featured. Yeah, I mean, he's playing. He's getting snaps. He's playing like it seems like a majority of the snaps. It's just uh, for whatever reason, Hurts just doesn't really look his way. And, th- I mean, that's the same for, like, Lee Morris when he's in there too. Yes, yes. Philip, another one. Grinch ain't happy. Uh, more from Allen. I appreciate you guys. A lot of you guys have a bunch of different ones. We touched on this a little bit before here, but Allen says penalties kill championships. They might, but then again, you made a point about how that Florida OU title game, though both those teams are very highly penalized, heavily penalized. I believe also when Oklahoma played Georgia in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago, I think that Georgia team was also heavily penalized. I know they didn't win at all, but they played for the national title. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you go back and look and see some national championship teams were really highly penalized. Although I guess I, I doubt Alabama teams are, but you know, I, I bet there will be some correlation there. That's all I have in three-word reviews. Uh, Derek has a comment here. Maybe we can, uh, you know, just let's touch on it really quick. He, Derek says, hey, food for the podcast. Do you think Lincoln Riley was running a scheme to allow Jalen Hurts to have a pass, rush, and receiving touchdown in a single game? Jalen was so very close to having the trifecta. Then he mentions that Spencer Rattler's senior day, or maybe on homecoming, his head coach ran a similar scheme to get him uh, him that at the end of his high school career. I mean, we didn't even talk about Jalen Hurts catching a pass which is a thing that happened. I Honestly, Derek, I hadn't even thought of it. I, I suppose it's possible, but I I don't know. And, I, you know, if anything, maybe that's one of those things they threw in there because maybe they can do something else off of it to kind of put something on film for Texas. But uh, I don't have much to add to this one, Grant. Do you have anything on this? No, I, I just I, I wish he wouldn't have called the exact same play two, two <laughs> plays, you know, two plays later. All right, uh, 
And that does it for this week. Let's get out of here. So we got OU Texas stuff coming up. So this will be a this will be a fun pre pre game podcast coming up this week. We'll yeah. have a lot to talk about. A lot of Texas game to watch, Grant, because I've only watched the LSU film. I haven't watched any of their other games, so uh, I have no idea really what they have, with the exception of from what I saw on the LSU tape and. And that was, you know, what, a, a few weeks ago now, even maybe more than a month ago now or, or roughly a month, something like that. So I got to refamiliarize myself with Sam Ellinger, Tom Herman and those guys. So, uh, yeah, there will definitely be some interesting, interesting things to talk about because I would assume Texas fans are probably feeling pretty uneasy about their performance on Saturday as well. Lee, Texas only averaged on offense a shade over five yards per play against West Virginia. West Virginia averaged nearly seven yards per play against Texas. So um, could have been the same situation with Texas could have been looking ahead to OU and uh, didn't they kind of separate a little bit though at the end of that game and and did West Virginia get a a late touchdown they separated but Austin Kendall threw four picks I mean that's what provided Mm. the separation it was um, on a play-by-play basis the game was fairly even and like I said I mean uh, West Virginia's yards per play is a yard and a half more than Texas's I mean that's that's a pretty big spread for a game in which you know, Texas did win by 11 on the road. They covered the spread, but uh, if you got it at 10 and a half, they covered. But yeah, uh, but I would a lot say uh, it was 11. I would say just based off the box score, Texas's performance yesterday in Morgantown pretty reminiscent of the Texas team the last two years under Tom Herman, kind of playing down to their competition a little bit. West Virginia is a team Lee that has been uh, really, really below average on offense this season, and they averaged you know. 6.8 yards per play against Texas. So that'll be interesting to see going forward. Sure will. We'll be back uh, later this week. You guys know the drill. Uh, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.